Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski Podcast, part of 440 Sports. I'm Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com. I have met my contractual obligation to mention my name three times at the very top, and away we go. Today, we're going to talk about the lasting repercussions that one moment for a team can make, uh, the Titans' quest to improve at wide receiver Phone number adventures with Matt Hasselbeck and Zach Taylor at the NFL owners meetings and the idea of Thursday night flex games. I'm happy you're here. Let's kick this thing off. Uh, Jasper's, your neighborhood bar and restaurant done better, is the sponsor of this fine podcast, and I'm pleased that they are aboard. You should check them out. They're on West End just outside of downtown, though they are technically in downtown everything there is delicious and it's a good time we will talk about them more as we go on i could not be more pleased that they are connected to this broadcast one moment can be incredibly impactful for a team we know this i think if you think about the one moment for the titans you think well maybe music city miracle is hugely impactful kevin dyson uh, coming up short of the goal line on the final play of the Super Bowl in January of 2000. Uh, what if he had gotten in and that game had gone to overtime and the Titans had won? How would the fortunes of, uh, of this franchise changed is, uh, is something I know a lot of fans uh, still, still ponder. Um, Isaiah Wilson draft miss and more recent history is uh, maybe not as much on the field. And the chase to replace him after missing 29th in, in 2020, first with Dylan Radins, who looks to be another bust. Uh, and he'll start this season rehabbing his uh, torn ACL from last year. Then Nicholas Petit Frere, but he even has fingerprints, I would say, on uh, Andre Dillard, the free agent acquisition that they're hoping will be their left tackle this season. Um, but more recently, I cannot get off of a story that is still only, uh, what, 11 months old. The trade, the draft night trade of A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles for which the Titans um, got uh, Traylon Burks and, and more. Um, the tentacles of the repercussions, the uh, the splash and the rings that are around this in the Titans pond um, have not stop, stopped the ripple effect. And, uh, and we're going to run through all the effects that this has had um, from from the obvious maybe to the to the less obvious. Some of them are very important to the team itself. Some of them less so. All of them, I think, important in some way, shape, or form to the fan base and, and certainly to those of us who are writing and broadcasting uh, and talking about things for the fan base. So, so it starts with the receiver neediness that they helped create by trading the one great receiver that they drafted and developed in – no shit, 20, 25 years, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, you go back to, to Derek Mason, really. And Derek Mason's a great player, but not as dynamic as, as Derek Mason, uh, as, as um, A.J. Brown, excuse me. So they're incredibly thin now, right, at, at wide receiver. Uh, Traylon Burks, 
the, the guy that they drafted with the with the pick that they got for AJ Brown, you hope is is going to be their number one receiver. He's got a lot of growing to do still, and um, you know needs to be consistently healthy. But showed in flashes the kind of receiver that he could be for this team next year. So they don't have to have a number one guy necessarily. They don't often have, you know, guys in completely defined one, two, three, four roles, but Burks should be able to be a number one. That's what they were thinking when they drafted him. Um, Kyle Phillips should be a, a three, a slot guy, but got hurt very early and twice last year and hardly played. Had a terrific training camp then couldn't handle the punt return job. And we didn't really get a chance to see him work out of the slot too much beyond that terrific training camp. Nick Westbrook, Akina, we know, uh, took a day after not getting a tender offer uh, to, to kind of feel out the market, quickly came back and took what the Titans were offering, which wasn't much above the veteran minimum. Racy McMath, who, you know, some fans still want to get excited about as a deep threat. He's caught something like four passes in two years and is more of a special teams guy. Kinsey Roberson shouldn't be factors on this team. It was such a slim um, wide receiver free agent class that, that we didn't get any reports of the Titans uh, being involved with DJ Chark, for example, um, who a, a lot of us thought, you know, maybe would be the kind of guy who, who could be a good veteran presence. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, indications to me are that they're looking for good players and they don't care about age. They're not thinking we need a veteran guy who can come in here and offer this group some leadership or be a model for the young guys or anything like that. Like that. And that's a good thing. Uh, I'm recording on Wednesday night. Marvin Jones today uh, just signed to go back to Detroit. He went from Detroit to Jacksonville, back to Detroit now. Uh, he's a guy who could have been a veteran leader in that room, but certainly is not at his best anymore. He's gotten older, but I remember Teron Davenport and I both saying, particularly in hindsight after Julio Jones didn't work out, that the Titans could have had a guy like Marvin Jones who would have been a contributor wouldn't have done the cap damage that Julio Jones did. Um, if they had been less risky, that's a guy that could have helped them at that stage. But you look now at the wide receivers who remain on the market, there's nobody to be excited about. Randall Cobb is old. Kenny Galladay is hurt. Richie James, I mean, I don't know. But Mike Vrabel uh, did talk at the owners' meetings about, uh, you know, the need at wide receiver. I think we're always just, you know, we're trying to, to, to put the right pieces in place, right? Whether it's a, it's a, it's a big, fast guy, a small, fast guy, it's a, it's a smaller, quicker player. It's, it's you're trying to find what the fit and the value is uh, at every position. And so we... Rand and I, everybody on the coaching staff, the personnel side, we all understand that we're going to have to find some guys that can, that can get open and catch the ball. Um, that are hard to tackle after they catch it. And, and so we're, we're, we're going to continue to do that. The fear is, of course, how much can rookies do out of the gate for the Titans? It's a new offense now to some degree with the new offensive coordinator and Tim Kelly. 
But Vrabel's going to have to loosen up on on uh, and, and this offensive staff is going to have to loosen up on the idea of having rookies out there contributing, asked to do more. Whether a guy knows the full root tree uh, route tree or not, you got to put him out there and ask him to do what he can do. And if he can run three routes, put him out there and let him run his three routes. They, they're talking about getting faster. If you get a vertical guy and all he can do is go vertical, put him out there and let him go vertical. I mean, what's Racy McMath doing? He's not doing much more than that. He's not getting a lot of snaps. You need a guy who has more upside than McMath who could put out there to draw somebody deep once in a while. But this team needs two solid wide receivers still. I suspect they're both coming in the form of draft picks, and they're going to have to contribute early, at least one of them. So uh, we've heard now about Tyler Scott a couple of times. I've heard about him a couple of times, Cincinnati receiver. Uh, Justin Mello reports the Titans had dinner with him. Uh, I, I, uh, I think it was the night before his pro day at Cincinnati. He's a different guy. And I want the Titans to get a different guy. And you should want the Titans to get a different guy. 5'10", 177. I understand the fear of going away from their type, but they need to go away from their type. He's been compared to T.Y. Hilton. I'd take a T.Y. Hilton type on the Titans for sure. 444 speed. 10-plus touchdowns of 30 or more yards. There's the explosiveness that the Titans need. Uh, he needs to be more physical, needs to fare better on contested catches and stuff like that, but he's got a big upside. He's a speedy, shifty guy who can get open. Keywords: get open. Titans last year, failure to separate with guys like Robert Woods and NWI. It was too big of an issue. Um, should have better pass protection with a revamped offensive line. That'll give him some time to get open. Um, if Derrick Henry's going good, the play action could, could buy them a little bit, but you need guys who can separate and get open. Scott has the potential to get open. He's a jet sweep kind of guy. Um, I, I love the idea of, of, of Scott. Friday, Vrabel will be, or if you're listening um uh, you know, Friday uh, afternoon or later, will have been at uh, at University of Tennessee's uh, pro day while Rand Carthon's going to Florida. So Vrabel will see firsthand Jalen Hyatt, a speed guy um, who, you know, is enticing for sure, but also comes with some question marks because Tennessee did such an amazing job scheming the guy open. Um, and he didn't have to deal with a lot of uh, press coverage, and he didn't run um, a, a lot of routes that he'll be asked to run by a lot of teams in the NFL, certainly would be by the Titans, and and Cedric Tillman. So uh, I heard that when Hyatt didn't run faster at the Combine, he ran a 4-4-40. I think he was expecting to do better than that that he spent some time moping about it and the remainder of his workout day, instead of being completely focused on the rest of the work he had to do. That's not a good sign for him. That's not something the Titans would love about a guy. Uh, Tillman has Titans size for sure. 6'3", 213. Uh, and he's got the kind of uh, toughness and grit the Titans love in a receiver, but he doesn't have the speed that the Titans have been talking about it at four, five, four. So um, just two guys that, that Vrabel will see firsthand this week. So the first repercussion of A.J. Brown is this uh, massive need 
that the Titans have at the position. Um, and it's more than, than replacing him. You hope Burks helps offset him some, but you know, if, if they had reached an accord with AJ Brown, they'd have a number one wide receiver. They wouldn't have Traylon Burks. We'd probably be talking about wide receiver. We always are with this team, but we'd be talking about a second and a third. We wouldn't be talking about, you know, somebody that could be, you know, maybe a co-number one with Burks or very good, uh, somebody you know that's going to be uh bring some of the explosion that they lost with aj brown that's repercussion number one repercussion number two this overriding fear in the fan base that a long-term deal won't get done with jeffrey simmons jeffrey simmons took down his social media that's not my uh negotiating preferred negotiating tactic it's better than taking the titan stuff off of your social media which is what he did at the beginning but then he wound down uh, wound up taking all or most of it down uh, extensions for a guy like Jeffrey Simmons traditionally come with the Titans for sure, but around the league in, in a lot of cases in July or August, because other things are, are more of a priority. Now there are deadlines on things like uh, tra- uh, draft the, the draft and the Titans have to, to take care of those things. They could take care of more than one, certainly at a time. Um, and uh, affordability is not an issue. The Titans are cap cramped again, but Jeffrey Simmons' number in a new deal, his 2023 number will come down at least slightly. We've talked about this again. Next year, they have a ton of room. Uh, my podcast last week was about that. That number's down some now. It's like $129 million or something like that, but his second-year number's not going to be an issue. So they can afford him. It's not a problem. I think it's a matter of patience. Um, even if they're, you know, we don't know what degree they are rebuilding to yet, but even if they're rebuilding, it doesn't make a lot of sense not to re-sign Jeffrey Simmons. You build inside out. You would want a pillar on the inside defensively to build around. He would be that guy. But there's, there's more doubt particularly among the fan base, then there would typically be, and I think it's largely, and the money is, is a factor, but I think it's also largely because people saw things go sour and south with A.J. Brown last year, and this is a repercussion of that. They don't trust the team necessarily to do the right thing and to get things ironed out with Simmons and, uh, and to do the right thing with Simmons because they saw them fail to do the right thing with A.J. Brown. Uh, so there's another tentacle of, of this A.J. Brown bad decision. Um, a third one, Rabel can't even express his confidence in Ryan Tannehill to the degree that he wants to because last year he expressed his confidence that A.J. Brown would be around only to see about six weeks later A.J. Brown get traded, right? He said, what was it, on the Rich Eisen show, he'll be here as long as I'll, I'm the head coach about A.J. Brown. And then six or eight weeks later, he had to answer for that after the Titans traded A.J. Brown. And he looked, probably that was a low moment for Mike Vrabel in terms of looking like uh, John Robinson was the power broker with the team. And and it it just looked bad. He doesn't want to look bad now. And so now he's got to put a a caveat on everything like he did here on Monday in uh, um, Phoenix. Of course. I mean, of course we do. And that's 
we're, we're in March. We're continuing to build a, a football team, the best football team we can. And Ryan's healthy. He's getting healthy. I would say that he's putting the work in. It's been good to see him around the building. Um, so, yeah, you know, we always expect that. But to, to make predictions, I think I've been through this last year. I'm not going to commit to anybody being on our roster in September. You know what I mean? I just, I've seen it change too quickly. Of course, that, you know, we want Ryan as a quarterback and everybody else that's helped us win. That's what we want. I'm not going to commit to anybody being on our roster in September uh, in late March. We should be able to commit to some people being on your roster in, in September, in March. On a good team, you should be able to commit to your best players being on your team in September. Now, uh, you know, maybe they want to be a little bit coy here because they want to have some people believe that they might be in the running for the quarterback uh, draft stuff out of the 11th position in the draft. But the first half of that answer sure didn't make it sound like they were going to be in the running uh, for a quarterback in the top 10 of the draft or for a trade up. He had to catch himself and say, yeah, of course I want him, uh, expect him to be our quarterback in September. But but I can't say that because last year I said something like that and I wound up looking stupid on, on A.J. Brown. So I can't say it about anybody. So the head coach, because of what happened with A.J. Brown last year, can't in March say that anybody's going to be on the roster in September. Anybody on a team with some stalwart guys, some stalwart guys like Simmons, who's under contract for next year, like Bayard, who's, who's got a financial concern situation coming around, like, uh, you know, Tannehill, who looks to be in line as the quarterback going forward, like Derrick Henry, who's not a very popular trade commodity and, and is going to remain, I believe, the touchstone for the offense, um, you know, et cetera. You know, you, you, we're not talking about the new core draft guys like a Chigakonkwo or uh, a Traylon Burks. Um but I, I, I think that's a pretty telling repercussion about out of what happened with A.J. Brown. Another one uh, is that we're uncertain about draft day trades, right? But we don't, we don't really have faith in what's on the roster, partly because of the money stuff. But I think for most teams, and we haven't been here with the Titans in a while, heading into a rebuild of choice rather than out of having been a two-win team or a three-win team, um, the Wizenhunt era, out of choice rather than out of absolute necessity, we're not positive what's happening with Tannehill, though I feel quite certain he's going to be back. Uh, it's okay if, if Tannehill's not back, if there's an incoming quarterback but i don't think that's happening there's no real quarterback needy team for them to trade him to anymore i don't feel like involving henry who remains the identity of this team though he's replaceable but is there an identity alteration coming we're wondering that in a, in a way we never would have before um, you could still run the ball with something like Foreman and Hilliard like they did a couple years ago. There are a lot of plug and play backs in this, in this draft, like in most drafts, 
that they would be a solution for the Titans minus Henry, but they would also be a solution for a lot of the teams you might project Henry getting traded to. Um, involving Kevin Byard because his salary is is so big at $13.5 million. What's the return for Kevin Byard? And if you get a good return for Kevin Byard, you've created a hole at safety, which you need to go fill with some of that return from Kevin Byard. With all three of these guys in years past, I think we'd be pretty confident that they're not going anywhere. What makes us less confident? The fact that the Titans, out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, there were some rumblings, but surprised us with the A.J. Brown trade last year. Makes us more uncertain about what they will do. That's not necessarily a bad thing, I guess, but it's another repercussion of the fact that they did this last year where they couldn't come to terms with, with what AJ Brown was going to cost uh, and made a move. At least they got good value there. I'm not convinced that there's a market for Tannehill. I'm not convinced that there's a market for Henry. If there's no market for those two guys, you're not going to get value. I think Bayard's salary reduces the market for him, but if there is a market for him, I'm not convinced that you do well replacing him though on a cost basis. Um, maybe you do, maybe you do. So here's, uh, Rand Carthon on, uh, the state of Derrick Henry and Kevin Byard. And this is also from the Arizona Biltmore, um, on Monday at the NFL annual meeting. There's nothing new to report. Um, it was an erroneous report that came out. You know, I've spoken to, uh, Todd, you know, Derrick's representative and, you know, we're in a good place. So there's nothing not new to report from there. Um, I know Derek trains like crazy um, in the location where he trains. I know the location. I don't want to put it out there, you know. But um, Derek is going to be Derek. You know, he's going to spend, take his time away and do what he has to do to make sure that he's ready to go. So I feel we're in a good place. How about Kevin? You in a comfortable place with Kevin? Yeah, I uh, actually reached out to uh, Kevin's rep uh, this morning. Um, sat down with uh, Jim Wyatt, you know, and um, – uh, yesterday and just basically, you know, told the truth. Like he nor his reps ever asked for uh, his release. So, you know, wherever that report came from, it came from. But uh, we never had those conversations. We still don't know about the degree of the rebuild that is going to happen here. If I was a betting guy, I'd bet that all three of those guys, Tannehill, Henry, Byard, are on this roster in the fall, still tentpole people with the team being built up around them and um, more replaceable a year from now um, when the Titans have a, a lot more money, though I don't think that there are necessarily, uh, you know, a, a, a great free agent quarterback to go get in a year uh, or a great free agent safety or a running back, but solvable positions uh, cheaper. And just one last note in terms of teams trading for any of those three guys during the draft. I'm not saying it can't happen and all it takes is one and these things are becoming more frequent. But I do believe, and I think it's generally the case, all it takes is one, like I said, generally the case during the draft, unless you're really striking out with what you're looking for, you want more picks. More teams want more picks in the draft than they want an expensive veteran player, right? That more teams want what the Titans would want from their side of this than what 
uh, the Titans would want to give up if, in fact, they were heading that direction. So that's a lot of repercussions out of the A.J. Brown trade. None bigger than the fact that A.J. Brown is not on the Tennessee Titans and should be. Um, but a lot of trickle-down stuff there. Jasper's is your neighborhood bar and restaurant done better. I, uh, most recent trip there, had the Bolognese, which was excellent. Um, this place is a very versatile place. They call it an elevated uh, sports bar fair. That's It's locally owned, obviously. Um you can go there. You can park for free. You can play pop a shot. You can, uh, you can play. Um, what's the, uh, the slider. I always forget the name of it there. That's a bad form by me. Shuffleboard. I'm so good at it, but I don't know what it's called. You got a nice room with a big screen TV where you can watch a big game. Uh, you play those games for free while you park for free. They've got a, a great menu. Everything on it tastes good. Look, you could take a, a meeting there, lunch meeting there. You could take a date there for dinner. You can take your family there for dinner. It's a versatile place. It's like the players the Titans are looking for now, where versatility is the key word. Um, so I highly recommend uh, Jasper's downtown on West End. Uh, it's right near the big billboard, you know, that's at uh, Broadway and, and West End intersection. You know where it is. Go there, check it out, eat, uh, eat their tasty food, drink their tasty drinks, tell them. Uh, you're there because of the Paul Kuharski podcast and, uh, they treat everybody great, but maybe they'll give you even a little extra. Um, I can't urge you enough to check it out and I can't thank them enough for, um, for sponsoring us. And, uh, if I run into you there, I will take you at shuffleboard. I promise. Um, a couple quarterback notes here. Um, one of the things I was hearing at the, at the combine, and, and this is at, not at the combine at the owner's meeting, and this has come out. Uh, more will Levis apparently turning some people off at, at some meetings coming across uh, with the, with a personality that, that people are not fond of with a big ego, maybe even uh, kind of a jerk. That doesn't sound like a Vrabel or a Carthon guy to me. Neither does the lack of accuracy right now. I, I know everybody thinks they can fix it, but Vrabel preaches quarterback efficiency and the key to quarterback efficiency is quarterback accuracy. I know Josh Allen got more accurate, but uh, most guys, your accuracy coming out of college is, is going to be within a couple points of, of your max accuracy in the NFL. I just do not think that he, he's the right kind of guy in, in Tennessee. Were they to trade up to, to three to get a quarterback? And he and Richardson were the guys. Richardson with 13 starts is just not enough experience to me. I'm not attracted by either of those two guys. Um, another quarterback note, Carthon said that Tannehill would have to earn it on the grass when I was following up Vrabel's comments. Let me tell you a secret. It's not going to be hard for Tannehill to earn it on the grass in Tennessee if the guy he's earning it on the grass ahead of is Malik Willis. Now, I, I've said here on the podcast, you know, Malik Willis has a nice fresh start chance here with a new coordinator and a new quarterback coach and, you know, a, a, a full spring and summer to work on things and playbook does it being redesigned that maybe will feature some things that give him his best chance. You know, I think it's dangerous at this point to be thinking he's the number two, but he sure in hell isn't going to be putting pressure on the number one. 
So earn it on the grass is a nice theme, and you want to be as competitive as you can be at every spot. But Ryan Tannehill isn't going to have to earn a damn thing on the grass as long as he's healthy if the quarterback room looks like it looks right now. And if the third guy in is, you know, a practice squad level veteran um, who's got the potential to knock Malik Willis off the way Josh Dobbs did last year. So, uh, you know, I I didn't take much from the idea of Ryan Tannehill having to earn it on the grass unless um, Titans draft one of these guys, you know, somebody falls in their lap or 11 or they do trade up. And even in that case, I would think earning it on the grass ahead of Levis or Richardson in their rookie year wouldn't be particularly difficult so long as he stayed healthy. Matt Hasselbeck, my uh, favorite Titans quarterback of all time to talk to, um, was at the owner's meeting as a member of the media, as was Ryan Fitzpatrick. I saw the two of them talking and uh, said hello. I'm, I, uh, I'll remain pretty friendly with Hasselbeck. Haven't seen Ryan Fitzpatrick in a long time and just got a quick hello with him. But later in the evening at the uh, Monday night reception, which is kind of the highlight of the owner's meeting where everybody's uh, drinking and eating and having a big time and talking very casually. I was with some friends who cover the 49ers, uh, Matt Mayoko. Some of you may know a famous story about me and him in Key West. If not, I'll circle to that sometime. But he, he showed me a picture he took. We were talking and he said, uh, you know, I saw this in the lobby and it was a picture of, uh, of Arizona Biltmore stationery that had Tony Gonzalez's name written down and scribbled out. And underneath it was uh, Matt Hasselbeck's name, no capital letter on either name and Hasselbeck spelled Hasselbeck and had a phone number next to it, uh, 707 area code, which is an area north of San Francisco, the North Bay in California. So he's asking me if I, you know, knew Hasselbeck or whatever. I told him, you know, pretty good. And he was a great talker when he was with the Titans and I was still in touch with him periodically. And that Tim, uh, last I saw was still living in Nashville had kids, my kids age, who uh, occasionally played baseball against each other and everything. So we were talking about this note about Hasselbeck, like why would somebody leave the number in the thing? And I looked up Hasselbeck's number in my phone and it didn't match the 707 number. So does he have a new number? Um, you know, and then I was trying to get somebody else to call it because if I called Hasselbeck's number, my number would have come up in his phone. So that would have been weird. So we were kind of all of us hypothesizing, like, what could this mean? And why would somebody leave it in the lobby and all of that? And so then our conversation moved on. And uh, Eric Branch of the San Francisco Chronicle was telling a very sad story about his dog, Isaiah. Uh, the poor pup had just passed away kidney failure perhaps and um harshly as i uh, am known to do i see hasselbeck not in a conversation just kind of walking nearby and i like apologize in the middle of this sad story excuse myself to run over to talk to hasselbeck about this mysterious note from the lobby so i uh, i have a picture of the note I go talk to Matt. I said, a friend of mine took a picture of this, found it in the lobby. So it's Matt and his producer. And they're very interested in this. He says it's not his number. His old number is still good. 
He's very curious about the number. We joke about, you know, Tony Gonzalez, who wants that Hall of Famer to scribble out that number, that name and Hasselbeck's name. He looks, it goes to his phone book, punches in the number, doesn't have anybody by that number. We're surveying some passers-by as to whether it's a man or woman or child's handwriting. We don't get any universal accord on that. And so we reach no conclusions about this phone number, but we want very much to know where it came from, who it, whose number it is. I'm tempted to call the number and talk to a couple other people who punched it into their phones. No, nobody else had it. So we're very curious. I saw him the next day. I asked if it was okay. If I, uh, if I talked about the caper on my podcast, he gave me the thumbs up. So if anybody knows anything about Matt Hasselbeck and a 707 area code number, let me know. Now, the next day before I left the Arizona Biltmore Media Workroom, I thought about there was this same stationery and a bunch of pens in the media workroom. I thought about writing down the same thing that the picture said, Matt Hasselbeck and this 707 area code number. This would have been funny if I did that. I should have done it, right? Matt Hasselbeck, write this number down, leave it there, see if uh, – if people got picked up and then maybe call the 707 number a week later and see how many calls they got from Matt Hasselbeck or how many texts that would have been maybe an interesting social experiment on the more productive front in terms of phone numbers. Um, Zach Taylor, coach of the Cincinnati Bengals four years ago, uh, the owners meetings were held at the same Arizona Biltmore. That's the first time in my uh, long career covering the league that I went to an NFL owners meeting and realized what I had been missing out on. Uh, it's a phenomenal event. And so I was at this very same reception and right as I arrived again, I was with my friend Matt from San Francisco and bumped into Matt LaFleur. And so uh, I had a beer and ended up talking to LaFleur for a little bit. And he was like, this is Zach. Well, it turned out to be Zach Taylor, who was newly the coach of the Bengals. And so Matt LaFleur, Zach Taylor, me, and Matt Mayoko chatted long enough to finish one beer. And Zach was super nice. And so um, I think it was still at midday 180 uh, on the radio. And after the Bengals had a you know bad season, um, when the scouting combine came around, I reached out to the uh, public relations department where I, I know a guy. And I said, Hey, if you would remind Zach, this story, I had a beer with him and Matt Lafleur at the owner's meetings. Um, he, he's, I think he might be amenable to coming on our show at the, at the combine. And sure enough, he was. So he came on the show. We had a nice conversation with him. Uh, and afterwards I asked him for his phone number, which he gave me. But I operate with like a, a questions list on a piece of paper folded in half like this and a notebook. And uh, it seems I probably wrote it down on my questions list and didn't put it immediately into my phone. And I didn't later, the Titans played the Bengals that season. Titans lost at Cincinnati that season. I went to text him something the week after the game and I couldn't find his number anywhere. I tore up this office for every notebook I had and I couldn't find his number. So then the pandemic interrupted and everything. Last year at the owner's meeting at the Breakers, I sought him out. I saw LaFleur, talked to LaFleur, told him I was looking for Zach. He said he hadn't seen Zach. I didn't see Zach. So then I was talking to Arthur Smith this this uh, this week 
with a couple other folks. And I kind of told this story, like I really blew it with Zach. And I'm, I, last year I was looking for him at the owner's meetings and I couldn't find him. Uh, and, and Arthur Smith goes, there he is. He's, he's right over there. And he was walking, not talking to anybody. So I excused myself and I went over to Zach and I told him, he remembered me and I told him this whole story. And he was like, it wouldn't have done you much good anyway, because I think I've changed my number three times since then. And then he very graciously gave me his phone number, which I dialed into my phone, but rang on his end. So I uh, had it in my phone immediately. I had put his name and number in there and I now can, uh, occasionally text Zach Taylor, whether he texts me back or not is his prerogative, but that's how it works. So two phone numbers, one productive, one a mystery out of the owner's meetings. And that's all I got for you there. I've got one or two more freebies. I told you last week, Trey Wynn, a big fan of paulkuharski.com and of the Paul Kuharski podcast, very generously offered to sponsor a few of you who are not members of the site for a month to get you hooked. We'll give you a little taste of the site. You'll get hooked. Um, and, and then in a month when I cut you off, you'll uh, be desperate to renew and keep the product. So he's kind enough to help me out that way. I gave away a few of these memberships. I got emails from a few of you right before I left for the owner's meeting and I didn't have time to hook you up. I will hook you up. And a couple more of you that I hear from, I will hook up with that free month. Um, for those of you who don't get the free month, you can see below me if you're watching on YouTube or I'm telling you if you're just listening, $5.99 a month. You can't get a good cocktail or a good cup of coffee for that price. For all the great content you get at paulkowarski.com, including these video chats we do, which are great conversations driven by you guys asking questions. Uh, Mike Herndon's analytics column once a week. This week is about all the places the Titans could uh, gain themselves some cap money and how. Blake Bettingfield, the 19-year scout of the Titans, will be back shortly um, with some pre-draft analysis. Um, and uh, I, I've been working on some bigger pieces by gathering stuff uh, at the Combine and at the owners' meetings, so you don't want to miss out on any of that. If you are as big a Titans fan as you think, and you've got to have this jersey, and you've got to have uh, that bottle of scotch to drink during the games and during the drafts or whatever, you've also got to have a membership to paulkuharski.com. I am uh, the longest reigning beat guy. I've covered the team since it was in Houston. I've got great institutional knowledge, and trust me, I am more connected with the decision makers than anybody in town. So, um, I want to talk about the Thursday night flex idea, which everybody seems to think is crazy. Um, Albert Breer says that the head count was that they had 22 votes to approve it. We know that John Mara of the Giants was not one because he spoke, spoke vehemently against it. But Roger Goodell clearly wants it, and he only needs two more votes. You need 24 votes for something like this to pass. Can he get those votes by March, uh, by May, excuse me, when the owners meet again? Um, we don't know. Can he get them next year? I, I would presume so. And look, I get the player safety issue here. One Thursday night game a year is asking a lot for teams to play on short notice. The quality of those games isn't always great. It's where bad games get housed a lot of times for teams to make their one national appearance, which is no longer a requirement. But I will say, as a consumer of the NFL, 
when I turn on my TV on a Thursday night or anticipating a game, I'm not going to object to better games being in that time slot. And the NFL's big business. They want Amazon to have a better package. They want better primetime games overall. I understand the player safety concerns and all of that, and I'm with the players on that, but they consistently can't get themselves what they want on that. And I know it'll suck for the fans in those in that market that's hosting that game in terms of things being changed or in terms of visiting fans who were going to fly to that city and can no longer do so on that weekday. But they're trumped by the millions of fans as opposed to the thousands of fans who might be doing that, who are watching on TV. And I'm one of those guys who's watching it on TV, and I'm going to be up front and confess. I'm not going to mind a better matchup on a Thursday night when the time comes. Now, uh, you know, a, a team can play more than once on Thursday night now. This accepts opening night on Thursday night and and um, Thanksgiving. But if and when they they reach this flex thing and once or twice late in the season, it can happen. And I'll see a better game Thursday night that would have been buried on a Sunday when I'm covering the Titans or you're watching your favorite team play instead. It's not great. Uh, there are elements of it that are not great. But it's not bad in terms of what I get to watch on TV. I, I think we can all admit that. Pekka Rene got a statue outside Bridgestone Arena. Like it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick for the Predators who are uh, came to be in 1998. It's no shame for a team that came into existence in 1998 and hasn't won a Stanley Cup not to have a guy who's good enough to be worthy of a statue. Pekka Rene is fantastic ambassador for the team, and he played great goalie for the Predators. He also wasn't great in the playoffs. The team hasn't been great. It went to one Stanley Cup final. He won a Vesna trophy, which is great. For one year, he was viewed as the best goalie in the league. I'm sorry, I have high standards for something like a statue. A statue is like a permanent tribute. Like for all time, Pekka Rene doesn't deserve a statue. And this, of course, leads to questions about a Titan who deserves a statue. There is no Titan that deserves a statue, period. Like the best people in the franchise all time, Earl Campbell, Warren Moon, Robert Brazil, they don't deserve a statue. If they had a permanent home, if the, if the Oilers had never left Houston, they shouldn't have a statue in Houston. Now, the new stadium is going to have like a walk of fame was the initial concept. So that ring of honor that's always been too weak. They made it stronger at Nissan Stadium, at least. But there'll be some kind of walk of fame or something that honors their Hall of Famers and retired numbers and ring of honor that'll have more of a presence for these guys. That's fitting. Statue is, is too much. A statue is for, you know, the best of the best. So you got to be in the Hall of Fame for starters, and there are no Titans in the Hall of Fame. That's the end of the conversation. I people coming at me with a McNair statue. You got to have some, some, you need to travel more, and you need to have a better sense of the history of the league and people who really changed the league. Steve McNair was a nice quarterback, had a good run, you know. But you, you, you can't put them up there with the type of people like Johnny Unitas and and, uh, and and even Peyton Manning, who had such a bearing on the league. It's embarrassing to even have a conversation. 
end the statue conversation. I talked about Mike Herndon writing about the cap savings. I wrote, uh, Rand Carthon said on two different occasions, you know, Golden State Warriors, fast break football doesn't, doesn't work. And, and you can't be that. You got to be able to run the football. I had a chance to sit down with them at the owners meetings and talk to them about that. Because to me, Kansas City Chiefs are the Golden State Warriors of the NFL. And both those teams, by the way, won a lot of championships. Uh, six between them in the last eight years. Uh, doesn't sound like me, uh, like a bad thing to be to me. And so, um, go check that piece out. If you haven't read it, members broadcast coming up very soon, a large mailbag for the weekend. You can, uh, hit me on Twitter or the Facebook page with questions for that. Thank again. Thanks again. If I could speak in this last minute here to Jaspers for their sponsorship, go eat there or drink there or eat and drink there. Uh, play some shuffleboard, pop a shot, all their games, which are free, as is the parking. Uh, delicious food and drink. Enjoy yourselves there. Tell them I sent you. And in the meantime, until I see you again here, don't block the box. And please, please lock your lock.